everyone. This is Charlie Levine, and you are listening to the Angler's Journal Podcast, brought to you by Angler's Journal Magazine. If you're looking for a different fishing magazine that isn't just full of the same old, same old stuff that actually writes some in-depth stories about the people and places and boats and all the cool stuff that makes fishing great, check out anglersjournal.com and pick up a subscription. The Angler's Journal Podcast is brought to you by Atlantis Marine Finance. You know, Myself, I just unloaded my boat, and I'm without a boat for the first time in like 15 years. And I'm already looking around. I got ideas. I think a few different things I want to purchase or, you know, future shopping as it is. But when it comes time to do it, I'm going to need to finance that boat. And Atlantis Marine Finance is a great option. They've got a lot of experience. They've got a team of industry pros, actual boat owners. They have the knowledge and resources to help you get on the water So if you're looking to purchase a new boat or a used boat or even a project boat, Atlantis Marine Finance will give you all the educational resources you need to make a good decision and help you down that path to your next boat purchase. For more information, visit AtlantisMarineFinance.com and good luck. Get out there and get that boat. Hey, this is Charlie Levine, the editor-in-chief of Angler's Journal Magazine, and today I'm joined by one of our contributors who is a a very gifted writer. Uh, His stories really read like poetry. He's got a great rhythm. Uh, We we love working with him, and he also writes our armchair angler column where he reviews fishing books. Noah Davis, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me so much, Charlie. Oh yeah, it's great to see you. It's great to see you. And, you know, we talk on the phone all the time and we're both big uh, readers and, you know, I'm sure, were you an English major in college? I'm yes, guessing. I was. Yes, I was. Were you oh. too? Oh yes. Yep. Oh, I'm a book nerd, but um, <laughs> it's so fun with Angler's Journal, you know, we really take a literary approach to our writing and we, we work hard at crafting great stories, you know, and working with gifted writers. And I think all of us who work for the magazine have an affinity for, you know, these great fishing books that are out there. So that's why we asked you to jump on the podcast today. And um, I asked you to pick out five of your favorite fishing books, which um, how hard was that? It's uh, it's an insurmountable task. I, uh, <laughs> so, so there's some little gray area there with it, but but but, but I, I do have five. I do have five. Yeah, I had five too, and I'm I'm really curious to see if we agree or disagree because, you know, the cool thing about fishing is there's so many different species to to chase and different ways to do it and. Um, it feels like the fly fishing world has more books than anything. Um, but I tried to mix it up a little bit. I, I'm glad that you did because only one of mine was able to, to, to mix it up a little bit. I, I do have a, an affinity for fly fishing and an affinity for fly fishing lit. Uh, but I also love Duncan Worms. And there's, there's a book in here. It's an anthology that has a lot of praise for Duncan Worms. Oh, very cool. Let's go one by one okay. and we'll, we'll give each one a couple minutes and uh, we'll move on to the next. Okay, well, I think I'm going to start with uh, A River Runs Through It. Uh, you know, the heavy hitter uh, would change fly fishing in America in a, in a big way uh, that made everybody like Orvis and Sims very, very happy uh, once, once Brad Pitt was out there. Uh, fishing. It's it's one of those books that, again, 
uh, fishing is always more than fishing. Uh, and a river runs through it shows the familiar aspect, the familiar aspects of uh, loving a place, loving the people that you're with and seeing beauty in one another. And yeah. Norm McLean is just an incredible wordsmith. The, the sentences that he crafts uh, are, are poetry in, in a way that a lot of prose can't reach. And, it, and it's interesting reading. I mean, Norm McLean is a good writer, but to see the level that a river runs through it is for his portfolio. Uh, you can really tell how that that is the masterpiece. And uh, I think a lot of people have tried to write like him, but but nobody has uh, those closing words. Um, oh, uh, the beginning too. <laughs> the beginning yeah, of sentences of this book. It's funny you oh, mention yeah. it because we just started uh, this Angler's Journal book club, which mm -hmm. for anyone who's listening to this and, and is similar to Noah and myself, you could join the book club. And the first book we did was A River Runs Through It. But um, mm -hmm. just run over to anglersjournal.com and it's right on the, on the homepage there. But do you mind if I read the opening lines? Because it's, so, it's so good. So yeah, this is written by Norman McLean and uh, here's how it starts. In our family, there was no clear line between religion and fly fishing. We lived at the junction of great trout rivers in Western Montana and our father was a Presbyterian minister and a fly fisherman who tied his own flies and taught others. He told us about Christ's disciples being fishermen and we were left to assume as my brother and I did that all first class fishermen in the Sea of Galilee were fly fishermen and John, the favorite, was a dry fly fisherman. <laughs> dry fly closer to heaven. <laughs> That's what we say out here. <laughs> it's true. I mean, he's it's a it's a wonderful book. It's a short book too. So it's you know, you could read it on a long plane trip or um, you know, getting ready for it's and you could read it over and over and over, which I think is true mm -hmm. of all the books we're gonna be talking about. Yes. But that's yes. a good pick, man. That's a good way to kick it off. Good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. So, you know, I'm a, I grew up in the Northeast and I now live in Florida and I've been here for 20 years, which is just crazy. Um, but when I moved down to Florida, my dad bought me this book about the Everglades and the name of the book is Totch, T-O-T-C-H, A Life oh. in the Everglades. Oh, wow. And this gentleman, um, his name is Lauren Brown, and he went by the nickname Totch, but he grew up in the Everglades, um, you know, hunting gators and a commercial fisherman. And then he gets into drug smuggling and he was running his commercial fishing boats down to Columbia and filling the hull with cocaine and bales of marijuana. Oh my and, you know, gosh. The, and it's, you know, it's not written like a river runs through it. The, the writing is a little choppy because I don't know how educated really this guy is, but it is such a great story about his life and, you know, going through the depression and, you know, like they really fed themselves from what they caught or killed. And mm -hmm. it was not an easy life, but I don't think he would have ever changed it. Um, really, really wonderful book. Jeez, jeez. It's for you in that transition, because, you know, I'm also, I 
uh, raised in Pennsylvania, like that, that Northeast, that, I mean, PA is a little bit more mid-Atlantic, but like coming from that culture down to uh, Florida and then like reading a book like this, what was the culture shock that, that you felt or did you feel any culture shock? It made me want to go to the Everglades, you know, it's <laughs> for anglers, the Everglades is such an incredible place. There's, mm -hmm. it's, it's so uniquely beautiful. Um, one of my favorite parts about fishing there is generally the ride to the grounds, whether you're, you know, going to Snake River or winding up through the interior, it's just mangroves and I've camped out there and there's tons of wildlife. Um, it's a place that, you know, we're now, I'm actually wearing a captains for clean water hat as we're sitting here talking, there's a lot of water quality issues and we're you know, fighting to get some funding to restore the flow down there. But yeah, me and my dad, funny enough, when he's 30 years older than me. So when I turned 30 and he turned 60, we did this trip down the west coast of Florida and we ended in the Everglades. And um, we kind of went to some of the because he Toch became a bit of a tourist attraction and his name is still mm -hmm. used down there. There's a couple of like, you know, airboat uh operations i think that are named after him and i think he may have had some a store or something but yeah you read this book and you just he he does such a masterful job of talking about the unique beauty down there mm -hmm. uh, is it full of mosquitoes yes is there snakes and a lot of other weird stuff that wants to kill you yes but it's just so natural you know yeah. and it's, it's so inhospitable <laughs> yeah so yeah, if we would have figured out a way to live there, we would have done it already. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's thank God it's protected. You know, it's mm -hmm. the only place I know of really where you can catch a largemouth bass, a snook, and a tarpon, and like all these weird cichlids and all this other stuff, you know, in the same hour. So it's pretty cool. Incredible. Incredible. All right, what's your next one, buddy? My next one is Body of Water by Kristen Browski. Uh I, I'm a person that needs to learn more about saltwater um, fishing. I've, I haven't done enough of it in my life. Uh, and thank goodness I'm young and hopefully have a lot of life left to live. And there's a lot of fishing I need to do. But so for somebody who hasn't spent, who, who, who really wasn't that enamored with bone fishing, flats fishing, uh, it was incredible to read Dombrowski's body of water and, and Dombrowski has written for Angler's Journal before but um, yeah. for for people who haven't heard about this this is all about the bone fishing industry in the Bahamas and the guides who created this industry and how it was then co-opted as so much <laughs> capitalism does with exploitation but uh, all of these books that I have uh, listed and so much of, of how I am with the world is so place-based and I admire people that are of a place and can write about a place in such a true and authentic form. And Dombrowski is an outsider who came into this community and did so much research and so much thoughtful conversation with these people of this place. And I thought that that was a real triumph of, be, of being able to be an outsider, come to a place and then write so authentically and beautifully yeah. uh, about, uh, he, he's from Western Montana and 
<laughs> some pretty serious polar opposites there. He's an interesting guy. He's another wonderful writer that we're lucky enough to publish from time to time to time in English Journal. And yeah, he spent a bunch of time in Abaco. And I mean, those people down there, it's interesting because down there, it's a lot of families that have been bone fishing for generations. And he really gets to know them. I haven't read the book. I actually have his new book sitting here, The River You Touch. I need to read that one too. I'm reviewing that for the summer issue. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. I'm glad you mentioned it. Chris is a great guy and it's, he has such a cool perspective because he's also been a guide. Mm Mm-hmm. And so he knows what those guides deal with. And, um, you know, you have to deal with a lot of jerks, you know, a lot of wonderful people, but there's some real characters along the way too. Like any service industry job, being a guide. Yes. (laughs) If you've been a a waiter or a bus boy uh, and been yelled at, it's similar kind of thing, for sure. Um, No, that's a good one. All right, my next book is A Speck in the Sea. This is another kind of commercial fishing story, um, but this one took place out of Montauk, New York, and it's about a guy, John Aldridge. It's a true story. So John is a lobsterman, and in the middle of the night, him and his partner were cruising out to the canyons to retrieve their lobster pots, and their boat had no transom on the back, which is kind of a kind of a common thing for those lobster boats. And he was pulling a cooler full of ice across the deck and the cooler handle breaks and he just loses his balance and goes right off the back. Like two in the morning, 40 miles offshore. Oh my. And, um, and his buddy's asleep and he just watches the boat because the boat's on autopilot, just cruising. Oh. And he watches the boat just go. And he, um, yeah, he's in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And it's all of his thoughts. I mean, he survives and he does some pretty ingenious things. And he's using his knowledge of the tides and the time and the moon. And he takes his, um, his deck boots become his like life preservers, his deck boots and his pants and it's just a crazy, crazy story. That's amazing. And they actually, they actually rescue him and find him. So yeah. Oh my gosh! How long was he in the water? I, I knew you were going to ask that. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. I want to say it was, it was like, it was a couple of days. It was like forty-eight oh or fifty God. hours, something like that. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head, but um. You know, when his partner wakes up, the boat's way off course and he wakes up and there's no there's no John on board. And he starts, you know, calling the Coast Guard and then the writer it's written by. Well, the who was the writer? The guy it started as an article, I think, in The New York Times or maybe it was The New Yorker, but the art, the the author basically does a a deep dive into the Coast Guard side of things too and how they figured out where he was. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's a crazy, crazy story. I'm going to need to find that one. That's awesome. Yeah, I think everybody who spent time on the water is would enjoy this one. 
I think that one might be a good one to review too. In the, in the <laughs> one of like the classics that we review. That's awesome. Yeah, one of our our fellow magazines here, Power and Motor Yacht, actually went and interviewed him and did a video with John and um, and Anthony. And they're still out there fishing. They still, but they they did put a they do have a transom <laughs> on the boat now. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> I was like the first thing they did. Good, good. <laughs> so what's next, Noah? Uh, the River Y by David James Duncan. That's a good book. Uh, it's uh, for a boy who grew up wanting to fish, you know, every single day that I could to, to have the premise of this novel be uh, a young man who tries to fish, I think it's like 14 hours a day. <laughs> like that's that's just his goal in life is to be able to do that i was like that's that's pretty incredible and then the way i mean i mean duncan is is again one of those incredible uh writers where sentences jump off the page and the imagination the, the world that is created he's um i always feel like his pages his sentences are Walt Whitman-esque, where he tries to get the entire world, you know, in, in, in this big breath and this big movement. Uh, and, and I absolutely love it. And, uh, but, but, and then seeing that, oh yeah, maybe 14 hours a day fishing is, isn't, isn't as romantic as, as, it, as it might be, but, you know, I'm still at least trying to fish 10. Oh, <laughs> when I'm lucky. Um, isn't that, I read that one quite a while ago. He, he's like in a cabin in the woods by himself yeah. or something. And he's a pretty yeah. young guy. Yeah. Yeah. And like he, he leaves home. The, the father is this incredible uh, fly fisherman and the mother is a total gearhead and those conflicting they don't talk about fishing in the in, at, at dinner because there's massive animosity toward each other and he just wants to get out and go fish and so yeah he goes to the cabin in the woods and meets quite a few awesome characters in there yeah was it and there did he find a dead person or something yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> that is <laughs> that's the one it's a great book that's a great great recommendation i love that Good, um, good, yeah. One of my favorites. All right. This one I bet you've never heard of either. You ever heard of Crunch and Des? No. Okay. So Crunch and Des, this dates back to the 40s. Um, it's written by Philip Wiley. Philip Wiley wrote for the Saturday Evening Post. So mm -hmm. we're, we're going way, way back. But um, he Norman was in Rockwell Saturday Evening Post. Exactly. And Wiley was a legit journalist. He covered all kinds of things. He was ahead of his time. He wrote about like nutrition and all these things. But Crunch and Desk were fictional stories about a charter captain and his first mate in Miami, Florida, like back in that era in the 30s and 40s. And, you know, working as a fishing journalist all these years, I've always enjoyed the historical stories. And there used to be a place in Miami called Pier 5 where all the charter boats were tied up. And, you know, legendary captains went through that area. And these tales, they're funny. They're very Hemingway-esque, but with a sense of humor. And they her all these interesting characters coming and going on the boat and you know the captain is sort of a 
it's got like the dry, you know, humor. And then the mate is more outgoing and silly. And um, so there is a couple of anthologies basically of all the different short stories. And there's a ton of them. So this is one of those books where you may not read it cover to cover, but you might pick it up and read a story or two. And it's just uh, an interesting perspective since it was so long ago and it's great writing. Were, were those stories, were they published in the Saturday Evening Post? Yeah. Okay. Most of them. I think yeah. there may have been a couple others published in yeah. other magazines. But yeah, it became, and I, I believe Philip Wiley's in the IGFA Hall of Fame, and he was a pretty noted angler, too. That is awesome. So yeah. yeah, I love it. I, you know, there is humor in some of the, uh, there is some humor in some of the books that, that I'm mentioning, but I feel like that's where a lot of fly fishing literature misses out. I mean, John Gearock, obviously, he he has some really good humor in there, but fly fishing is a funny thing. And fishing in general, it's a funny thing. Like, we have so many opportunities to laugh at ourselves and what we're doing. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of fishing literature sometimes misses out on that. I, um, I, I, I just read, uh, just finished up yesterday, a book that I'm going to review for the summer issue is called Six Fish Limit. And uh, I think Steve Raymond is the author's name and uses humor all over the place. And it was so refreshing to see that. Uh, that is so great. I'm glad that, there, that there's another book that, that uses that so specifically. Well, that was one reason why I liked A River Runs Through It, too. That whole section where the um, the brother-in-law, uh, Neil. Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's like kind of a king douchebag showing up with a cardigan sweater and he wants to yeah. fish with the McLean boys and yeah, gets drunk and ends up falling asleep with a prostitute and it's hilarious. Yeah. And you, you yeah. kind of need that relief because it's you so, do. it's all God and you know, fishing. And, and I, I enjoy that as well. I mean, I always say it's fishing. If you're not having fun, you're just not doing it right. You know, exactly. like exactly. let's not take ourselves so seriously. <laughs> All right, what's exactly. next, Noah? Um, a river never sleeps. Ooh, uh, I don't know that one. Robert Haig Brown, um, who's an Englishman who moved to British Columbia, while British Columbia in the early 20th century and uh, first half of the 20th century, and absolutely incredible i mean we all know british columbia now as like this wild place but just think about it you know roughly a hundred years ago and how much even more wild it was then uh and and it's interesting because you know i as like a, a guy who grew up in like blue collar place and like saw fishing as this like where, where i grew up in pennsylvania it was incredible i grew up on an awesome trout stream but I also had four factories within a mile of my home, you know, yeah. and so people, you know, you got off your factory job or you got out of school or whatever, and then you went and fished. And I love that egalitarian aspect of it. And that's, that's one of the greatest things about American fishing. Uh, but we, we all know that the tweed and the, and the beats and, and the private stuff that, that happens in England. And so I'm always bulking against that, but um the way that he writes about the Canadian wilderness, about the steelhead that he's catching on these massive rivers 
uh, and he really just becomes a part of this place. He's a good writer, but uh, uh, it's it's absolutely incredible uh, what what he's able to depict. Oh wow! Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. Does he do some salmon fishing too, or mostly steelhead? Oh, this is salmon too. Because I could imagine back then it was probably just bananas. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's and yeah. it is a beautiful part of the world, man. I got to get up there. Have you spent any time in that area? No, I haven't. And I feel like a fool because I'm so darn close here. It's tough to drive past all this water in Montana to go someplace else, but I do need to, but I do need to do it. Oh, well, we should plan a trip. We should plan a trip. Oh, that would be sick. I'd love that. All right. I'm going into my next one. So I'm going to keep this Montauk thing going. Uh, my next pick is a book called In the Slick of the Cricket. The, two, the true story behind the Jaws epic. So if, you've, if anyone's been listening to the pod, you know that uh, I do love the movie and the book Jaws, and which is, you know, the, the captain in Jaws, Quint, was based on a guy named Frank Mundus, who was a legendary captain in Montauk. And growing up in Connecticut, my dad used to take us to the New York boat show and we would go listen to Frank give seminars. This is in the early eighties. And he was such a character. I mean, a larger than life kind of guy. Um, so this book was written by a local journalist who named Russell Drum, who unfortunately passed away at a young age, but I think Russell worked for the Hampton newspaper or one of those um, papers like out on the East end of Long Island. And the whole premise of the book was he was kind of going through a rough period and he ends up going fishing with Frank Mundus on the cricket. The name of Frank's boat was the cricket, cricket two. And um, he spends five days on the boat with Mundus and they go through all these storms and they have some good fishing and they have some bad fishing. And he writes this memoir about the guy and all of his, you know, inadequacies as a human being and also his... <laughs> Um, addictions, you know, to big fish and the way of life. And it's just a, it's a really cool book. I, I really enjoyed it. I read it many, many years ago and I don't think it's all that well known, but mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's definitely worth a read. Awesome. Yeah. Big sharks, I mean, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the perfect stories, you know, like Jaws, like, I mean, it is one of the perfect stories. The, the, well, the movies, he's just, Montauk itself is such a legendary place and growing up fishing out of there you look at these guys in their big boats and all this stuff and they're like heroes and the way they walk the dock and they've always got a crowd around them and you know some of the bars even like out on Martha's Vineyard there's pictures of him everywhere like I can vividly remember a picture of Frank Mundus standing on a whale carcass feeding a giant great white shark i think watermelon or something weird or crackers or something. <laughs> like, this guy was just a lunatic you know and and they caught the largest fish ever caught on rod and reels a 3400 pound great white shark um and that was a whole story too because they didn't get the world record but um anybody who loves that sort of side of it it's the total anti-fly fishing kind of story but um it's a it's a pretty cool tale. He he lived an interesting life. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I feel like you're balancing me out. 
too. And I don't want anybody to think I was, as I was writing the, this list, having to go through everything, I was like, man, everybody's going to think I wear tweeds. You know? <laughs> <laughs> These little fly rods. And I want you all to know, like, I put, I put worms on a fly rod. I have, there's nothing sacred on that. <laughs> Same, you know, I love it all too. And I think that's our, and that's always been the approach of the magazine too. It's oh, like, we will write a story about fishing chunk bait <laughs> and we'll write a story about dry fly fishing. And I think our readers just appreciate the passion of, of all of it. And that's, that's really what we're talking about. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, AJ is my favorite magazine. I think, I think AJ does it right. It's uh because it is, it's it's about an angling life. It's a fishing life. It's and and we all just like to hear fish stories, man. It's the best. <laughs> oh, amen, brother. Well, what you got next? Yeah. So my final uh, my final book is Gather at the River Anthology. It, it's an anthology. It's uh, it's rather new, I think, within the last five years, and it's edited by. Uh, two folks uh, who are hardcore writers and, and anglers themselves, but uh, it's 25 different writers and everything from lobster fishing, shark fishing, brookie fishing, uh, tarpon fishing, uh, all the different ways that we love to interact with the water world. Uh, and I think, wow. it, I think it's spectacular. They're all, it's a very short collection. All the writing is, is very short. Uh, but the amount of distance and the amount of diversity that it travels through is really impressive. And uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's it's one of the better uh, fishing anthologies out there that's been published recently, I think. Very cool. And I, that sounds similar to kind of our approach, as you say, yeah. it's a little bit of everything. That's great. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, it's a good one. All right. Am I going for my final one here? Yep, yep. Well, I had to do it. I had to bring it out. The old man in the sea. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The one I'm actually holding up, this was gifted to me by uh, the artist Guy Harvey. He produced oh. a book called Santiago's Finest Hour. And it's one of the first sketches he ever did were all these, he basically painted all the scenes in uh, Old Man in the Sea. And this is his book, but you know, this book- I've never seen I've never seen that edition of it. It's pretty it's pretty old, and he he had a Hemingway Mina Hemingway wrote the foreword, um, but it was obvious that this you know he grew up down in the in the Caymans and Jamaica and stuff. Um, but I think this book introduced me to Hemingway, and it's by far my favorite Hemingway piece. It's again a short, you know, it's relatively short. It's only like a hundred and something pages. And there's just so many life lessons in this book and, you know, man against beast and the beauty of nature and, you know, our natural environment and then our own in, in, interior sort of demons and all the things we go through and getting old, obviously, and not being able to do stuff you can do and you know, I kind of stole a few lines as an homage in, in my own book. Um, it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful story and one that I'm sure we'll do in our book club. And, you know, I haven't read it in a long time, but, 
you know, I was talking to my wife that we were doing, going to do this podcast. And she asked me what my favorite books were, fishing books. And I mentioned it and she's like, you talk about that book all the time. So I, I, it's still always sort of on my mind. And I don't know, he's probably one of the best. And, oh, yes. and I think it's, this is his finest writing. It's incredible. I, I'm so glad you included it because yes, it is. It's, it's, it's one of the greatest fishing stories ever written. Um, Oh, I really hope we do it for the book club. That'll give me another excuse to read it again here soon. <laughs> yeah, that and um, oh, um, Big Two-Hearted River, right? Yes, yes. Nick, Nick David, and wait, what was that character? Nick Adams. Nick Adams, yeah. Those, those two pieces are my favorite Hemingway pieces. And They're incredible. And I felt that the, you know, even like a river runs through it, has a lot of similarities with uh, Big Two-Hearted River. Mm -hmm. you know? Very much so, yeah. And I, I feel like, you know, a word that people don't use to describe Hemingway's writing often, but it, it is uh, whenever you, you read those two um, stories, is generous. I mean, the, the amount of care that he gives to these to these characters of, of empathy, of, of trying to, of, of showing like what this place is, what, the, what fishing means, uh, it's really incredible. Yeah, it's, he does such a masterful job. He's such a just, it's just beautiful writing. I actually, I had the opportunity to go to Cuba a number of years ago and I went to his house and I, and I saw his writing room, you know, and there was a little girl kind of, I shouldn't say a little, a young woman uh, sort of working there. It's a museum and it has the velvet rope and there's his writing desk with his, typewriter and I so I said you know can I go in and get my picture and she was like no so I pulled a ten dollar bill out of my pocket and she she opened up that rope pretty quick and, <laughs> and, and, and I went and got my picture at Hemingway's desk and it was uh, a pretty pretty awesome thing that is so cool so that is my my last pick man those are those are our five do you have any uh, honorable mentions you you want to shout out um, another darn fly fishing book, uh, <laughs> um, a fly fisherman's blue Ridge by Chris Camuto. Uh, Chris Camuto is a, is a really great writer living in Pennsylvania, but this is all about his time in the blue Ridge mountains, South, um, of Pennsylvania and Virginia. And, um, and the wild there getting into those small streams for brookies which is where my heart lies because that's that's what i spend my entire childhood doing and so that always brings me back home nice. uh, to, to those type of streams and places yeah and i mean there's so many amazing writers we didn't even mention you know oh, yeah. mcguane and jim harrison and all these guys so We'll have to maybe do round two of this in the future, but yes, yes, we'll need to do that. We'll need to do that. <laughs> but uh, I think this was a lot of fun. And Noah, thank you for reviewing all the books you have for Angler's Journal. And again, if uh, any of our listeners would like to jump on the book club, it's a lot of fun. We just had our first one and we're going to have our next book club in June. And I think it's going to be 92 in the Shade, which was written by Tom McGuane about his time in Key West. It's a novel, but it's, it's yeah. definitely uh, got some real life characters. So stay tuned for all that. And um, yeah, Noah, thanks for your time, buddy. Thanks so much, Charlie. Appreciate it. All right.